Section 12 of The Morals, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. The Morals, Volume 2 by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. How to Know a Flatterer from a Friend. Part 4. In the next place, let us free our discourse from all contumelious language, all laughter, mockery, and scurrility, which spoil the relish of our reprehensions. For, as when a chirurgeon makes an incision in the flesh, he uses decent neatness and dexterity in the operation, without the affected and superfluous gesticulations of a quack or a mountebank, so the lancing the sores of a friend may admit indeed of a little humour and urbanity, but that so qualified that it spoil not the seriousness and gravity requisite to the work. For boldness, insolence, and ill language destroy its force and efficacy. And therefore the fiddler reparteed handsomely enough upon Philip, when he undertook to dispute with him about the touch upon his instrument. God forbid that your majesty should be so unhappy as to understand a fiddle better than I do. But Epicamus was too blunt upon Hiero, who invited him to supper a little after he had put some of his acquaintance to death, when he replied, Aye, but you could not invite me the other day to the sacrifice of my friends. And so was Antiphon too rude in his reflection upon Dionysius, when, on occasion of a discourse about the best sort of bronze, he told him that was the best, in his opinion, of which the Athenians made statues of Harmodius and Aristogaton. For these scurrilous abusive jests are most certainly disagreeable, and pain to no purpose, being but the product of an intemperate wit, and betraying the enmity and ill-nature of him who takes the liberty to use them and whosoever allows himself in them does but wantonly sport upon the brink of that pit which one day will swallow him up. For Antiphon was afterward executed under Dionysius, and Timagenes was in disgrace with Augustus Caesar, not for any extravagant freedom in his discourse, but only because he had taken up a foolish custom of never talking seriously, but always scurrilously at every entertainment, and walk where the emperor desired his company, scorn all his joy, and laughter all his aim, alleging the pleasantness of his humour as the cause of his favour at court. Thus you shall meet with several smart and satirical reflections in a comedy, but the mixture of jest and fool in the play, like ill sauce to good meat, abates their poignancy, and renders them insignificant, so that, Upon the whole, the poet acquires only the character of a saucy and foul-mouthed buffoon, and the auditors lose that advantage which they might otherwise reap from remarks of that nature. We may do well, therefore, to reserve our jollity and mirth for more suitable occasions, but we must by all means be serious and candid in our admonitions, which, if they be upon important points, must be so animated with our gestures passion and eagerness of voice as to give them weight and credit and so awaken a tender concern in the persons to whom they are addressed we are again to time our reproofs as seasonably as we can for a mistake in the opportunities 
as it is of ill consequence in all other things, is so peculiarly in our reprehensions. And therefore, I presume, it is manifest, we ought not to fall foul upon men in their drink. For first, he who broaches any sour disagreeable course amidst the pleasantry and good humour of friends, casts a cloud over the serenity of the company, and acts counter to the god Lysias, who, as Pindar words it, unties the band of all our cares. Besides, such unseasonable remonstrances are not without danger. For wine is apt to warm men into passion, and make them quarrel at the freedom you take. And in short, it is no argument of any brave and generous, but rather of an unmanly temper, not to dare to speak one's sense when men are sober, but to keep barking like a cowardly cur at table. And therefore we need not enlarge any further upon this topic. But because several persons neither will nor dare take their friends to task whilst they thrive and flourish in the world, looking upon prosperity as a state above the reach of a rebuke, but pour forth their invectives like a river that has overflown its banks, insulting and trampling them, when fortune has already laid them at their feet, out of a sort of satisfaction to see their former state and grandeur reduced to the same level of fortune with themselves. It may not be improper to discourse a little upon this argument, and make some reply to that question of Euripides. What need is there of friends when fortune smiles? I answer, to lower those lofty and extravagant thoughts which are usually incident to that condition. For wisdom in conjunction with prosperity is a rare talent and the lot of but few. Therefore most men stand in need of a borrowed prudence, to depress the tumours that attend an exuberant felicity. But when the turn of fortune itself has abated the swelling, a man's very circumstances are sufficient of themselves to read him a lecture of repentance, so that all other grave and austere corrections are then superfluous and impertinent. And it is on the contrary more proper in such traverses of fortune to enjoy the company of a compassionate friend, who will administer some comfort to the afflicted, and buoy him up under the pressure of his affairs. So Xenophon relates that the presence of Clearchus, a person of courteous and obliging aspect, gave new life and courage to his soldiers in the heat of battle, or any other difficult recounter. But he who chides and upbraids a man in distress, like him who applies a medicine for clearing the sight to a distempered and inflamed eye, neither works a cure, nor allays the pain, but only adds anger to his sorrows and exasperates the patient. A man in health, indeed, will digest a friendly lecturer for his wenching, drinking, idleness, continual recreations and bathing, or unseasonable eating. But for a sick man to be told that all this comes of his intemperance, voluptuous, high-feeding, or whoring, it is utterly insupportable and worse than the disease itself. O oh, impertinent man, will such a one say. The physicians prescribe me castor and scammony, and I am just making my last will and testament, and do you lie railing and preaching to me lectures of philosophy? And thus men in adversity stand more in need of our humanity and relief than of sharp and sententious reprimands. For neither will a nurse immediately scold at her child that is fallen, but first help him up, wash him, and put him in order again, and then chide and whip him. 
they tell us a story to this purpose of demetrius Phalerius, that when he dwelt an exile at thebes in mean beggarly circumstances he was once extremely concerned to observe the philosopher crates making towards him expecting to be treated by him with all the roughness of a cynical behaviour but when crates had addressed himself courteously to him and discoursed him upon the point of exile endeavouring to convince him that it had nothing miserable or uneasy in it but on the contrary rather rescued him from the nice and hazardous management of public affairs advising him withal to repose his confidence in himself and his own conscience Demetrius was so taken and encouraged by his discourse that he is reported to have said to his friends cursed be those employs which robbed me so long of the acquaintance of such an excellent person for soft friendly words revive the afflicted soul but sharp rebukes are only for a fool and this is the way of generous and ingenuous friends but they who servilely admire you in prosperity like old fractures and sprains which as demosthenes speaks always ache and pain us when some fresh disease has befallen the body stick close to you in the revolution of your fortune and rejoice and enjoy the change whereas if a man must needs have a remembrancer of a calamity which his own indiscretion hath pulled upon him it is enough you put him in mind that he owes it not to your advice for you often dissuaded him from the undertaking well then you say when is a keen reprehension allowable and when may we chide a friend severely indeed i answer when some important occasion requires it as the stopping him in the career of his voluptuousness anger or insolence the repressing his covetous humour or any other foolish habit thus dealt solon with croesus puffed up and debauched with the uncertain greatness of his fortune when he bade him look to the end thus socrates humbled alcibiades forced him into unfeigned tears and turned his heart when he argued the case with him such again were the remonstrances and admonitions of cyrus to Cyaxares, and of plato to dion who when the lustre and greatness of his achievements had fixed all men's eyes upon him wished him to beware of arrogance and self-conceit as the readiest way to make all men abandon him and Spusippus wrote to him not to pride himself in the little applauses of women and children but to take care to adorn sicily with religion justice and wholesome laws that he might render the academy great and illustrious so did not euctus and Eulaeus, two of perseus's favourites who fawned upon and complied with him as obsequiously as any courtier of them all during the success of his arms but after his defeat at pydna by the romans inveighed bitterly against him reminding him of his past faults till the man out of mere anger and vexation stabbed them both on the spot and so much concerning the timing of our reproofs in general now there are several other accidental occasions administered by our friends themselves which a person heartily solicitous for their interest will lay hold of thus some have taken an opportunity of censuring them freely from a question they have asked from the relation of a story or the praise or dispraise of the same actions in other men which they themselves have committed thus they tell us demaratus coming from corinth into macedonia when philip and his queen and son were at odds 
and being after a gracious reception asked by the king what good understanding there was among the grecians replied as being an old friend and acquaintance of his ay by all means sir it highly becomes your majesty to inquire about the concord between the athenians and peloponnesians when you suffer your own family to be the scene of so much discord and contention and as pert was that of diogenes who entering philip's camp as he was going to make war upon the grecians was seized upon and brought before the king who not knowing him asked him if he was a spy why yes truly said he i am a spy upon your folly and imprudence who without any necessity upon you are come hither to expose your kingdoms and your life to the uncertain decision of the cast of a die this may perhaps seem a, a little too biting and satirical another seasonable opportunity of reproving your friend for his vices is when some third person has already mortified him upon the same account for a courteous and obliging man will dexterously silence his accuser and then take him privately to task himself advising him if for no other reason yet to abate the insolence of his enemies to manage himself more prudently for the future for how could they open their mouths against you what could they have to reproach you with if you would but reform such and such vices which render you obnoxious to their censure and by this means the offence that was given lies at his door who roughly upbraided him while the advantage he reaps is attributed to the person who candidly advised him but there are some who have got yet a genteeler way of chiding and that is by chastising others for faults which they know their friends really stand guilty of as my master ammonius perceiving once at his afternoon lecture that some of his scholars had dined more plentifully than became the moderation of students immediately commanded one of his freedmen to take his own son and whip him for what says he the youngster forsooth must needs have vinegar sauce to his meat and with that casting his eye upon us he gave us to understand that we likewise were concerned in the reprehension again we must be cautious how we rebuke a friend in company always remembering the repartee made upon plato on that account for socrates having fallen one day very severely upon an acquaintance of his at table plato could not forbear to take him up saying had it not been more proper sir to have spoken these things in private to which socrates instantly replied and had it not been more proper for you to have told me so in private too and they say pythagoras one time ranted a friend of his so terribly before company that the poor young man went and hanged himself from which time the philosopher would never chide any man in the presence of another for the discovery and cure of a vice like that of a scandalous disease ought to be in secret and not like a public show transacted upon the theatre for it is no way the part of a friend but a mere cheat and trick for one man to recommend himself to the standers-by and seek for reputation from the failures of another like mountebank chirurgeons who perform their operations on a stage to gain the greater practice but besides the disgrace that attends a reproof of this nature a thing that will never work any cure we are likewise to consider that vice is naturally obstinate and loves to dispute its ground for what euripides says is true not only of love the more tis checked 
the more it presses on, but of any other imperfection. If you lay a man open publicly for it and tell all, you are so far from reforming him that you force him to brave it out. And therefore, as Plato advises that old men who would teach the younger fry reverence should learn to revere them first, so certainly modestly to reprimand is the way to meet with a modest return. For he who warily attacks the criminal works upon his good nature by his own, and so insensibly undermines his vices. And therefore it would be much more proper to observe the rule in Homer, to whisper softly in the ear, lest standers-by should chance to hear. But above all, we ought not to discover the imperfections of an husband before his wife, nor of a father before his children, nor of a lover in company of his mistress, nor of masters in presence of their scholars, or the like. For it touches a man to the quick to be rebuked before those whom he would have think honourably of him. And I verily believe that it was not so much the heat of the wine as the sting of too public a reprehension that enraged Alexander against Clitus. And Aristomenes, Ptolemy's preceptor, lost himself by awaking the king who had dropped asleep one time at an audience of foreign ambassadors, for the court parasites immediately took this occasion to express their pretendedly deep resentments of the disgrace done his majesty, suggesting that, if indeed the cares of the government had brought a little seasonable drowsiness upon him, he might have been told of it in private, but should not have had rude hands laid upon his person before so great an assembly which so affected the king that he presently sent the poor man a draught of poison and made him drink it up and aristophanes says cleon blamed him for railing at athens before strangers whereby he incensed the athenians against him and therefore they who aim at the interest and reformation of their friends rather than ostentation and popularity ought amongst other things to beware of exposing them too publicly Again, what Thucydides makes the Corinthians say of themselves, that they were persons every way qualified for the reprehension of other men, ought to be the character of every one who sets up for a monitor. For, as Lysander replied upon a certain Megarian, who in a council of allies and confederates had spoken boldly in behalf of Greece, This style of yours, sir, needs a state to back it. So he who takes upon him the liberty of a censor must be a man of a regular conversation himself, one like Plato, whose life was a continued lecture to Speusippus, or Xenocrates, who, casting his eye one time upon the dissolute Polemon at a disputation, reformed him with the very awfulness of his looks. Whereas the remonstrance of a lewd, whiffling fellow will certainly meet with no better entertainment than that of the old proverbial repartee. Physician, heal thyself. But because several accidental emergencies in conversation will now and then invite a man, though bad enough himself, to correct others, the most dexterous way of doing it will be to involve ourselves in the same guilt with those we reprehend, as in this passage of Homer. Fie! What's the matter, Diomede, that we have now forgot our former gallantry? And in this other. We are not worth one single hector, all. 
Thus Socrates would handsomely twit the young men with their ignorance by professing his own, pretending for his part he had need with them to study morality, and make more accurate inquiries into the truth of things. For a confession of the same guilt, and a seeming endeavour to reform ourselves as well as our friends, gives credit to the reprimand, and recommends it to their affections. But he who gravely magnifies himself, whilst he imperiously detracts from others, as being a man forsooth of no imperfections, unless his age or a celebrated reputation indeed commands our attention, is only impertinent and troublesome to no purpose. And therefore it was not without reason that Phoenix, checking Achilles for his intemperate anger, confessed his own unhappiness in that particular, how he had like once to have slain his own father through a transport of passion, had not the scandalous name of parricide held his hands, that the hero might not imagine he took that liberty with him, because he had never offended in the like himself. For such inoffensive reproofs leave a deeper impress behind them when they seem the result of sympathy rather than contempt. But because a mind subject to the disorders of passion, like an inflamed eye that cannot bear a great and glaring light, is impatient of a rebuke without some temperament to qualify and allay its poignancy, therefore the best remedy in this case will be to dash it with a little praise as in the following think and subdue on dastards dead to fame i waste no anger for they feel no shame but you the pride the flower of all our host my heart weeps blood to see your glory lost where pandarus are all thy honours now thy winged arrows and unerring bow thy matchless skill thy yet unrivalled fame and boasted glory of the lycian name and such rebukes as these are also most effectual in reclaiming those that are ready to fall into gross enormities. Oh, where are Oedipus and all his riddles now? And is this the speech of daring Hercules? For a mixture of both together not only abates and takes off from that roughness and command which a blunt reprehension seems to carry along with it, but raises in a man a generous emulation of himself, whilst the remembrance of his past virtues shames him out of his present vices, and makes him propose his former actions for his future example. But if you compare him with other men, as with his fellow-citizens, his contemporaries or relations, then vice, which loves to dispute the victory, renders him uneasy and impatient under the comparison, and will be apt to make him grumble and in an huff bid you be gone then to his betters and not trouble him any longer and therefore we ought not to fall upon other men's commendations before him whom we take the liberty to rebuke unless indeed they be his parents as agamemnon in homer ah how unlike his sire is tydeus's son and ulysses in the tragedy called the scyrians speaking to achilles dost thou who sprang from a brave grecian race by spinning thy great ancestors disgrace it is in the next place very improper for a man immediately to retort or recriminate upon his monitor for this is the way to occasion heats and animosities betwixt them and will speak him rather impatient of any reproof at all than desirous to recompensate the kindness of one with another 
and therefore it is better to take his chiding patiently for the present and if he chance afterwards to commit a fault worth your remarking upon you have then an opportunity of repaying him in his own coin for being reminded without the least intimation of a former pique or dissatisfaction that he himself did not use to overlook the slips of his friends he will receive the remonstrance favourably at your hands as being the return of kindness rather than of anger and resentment moreover as thucydides says that he is a wise man who will not venture to incur odium except for matters of the highest concernment so when we do undertake the ungrateful office of censor it ought to be only upon weighty and important occasions for he who is peevish and angry at everybody and upon every trivial fault acting rather with the imperious pedantry of a schoolmaster than the discretion of a friend blunts the edge of his reprehensions in matters of an higher nature by squandering like an unskilful physician that keen and bitter but necessary and sovereign remedy of his reproofs upon many slight distempers that require not so exquisite a cure and therefore a wise man will industriously avoid the character of being a person who is always chiding and delights in finding faults besides that whosoever is of that little humour that animadverts upon every trifling peccadillo only affords his friend a fairer occasion of being even with him one time or another for his grosser immoralities as philotimus the physician visiting a patient of his who was troubled with an inflammation in his liver but showed him his forefinger told him sir your distemper is not a whitlow in like manner we may take occasion now and then to reply upon a man who carps at trifles in another his diversions pleasantries or a glass of wine let the gentleman rather sir turn off his whore and leave off his dicing for otherwise he is an admirable person for he who is dispensed with in smaller matters more willingly gives his friend the liberty of reprimanding him for greater but there is neither child nor brother nor servant himself able to endure a man of a busy inquisitive humour who brawls perpetually and is sour and unpleasant upon every inconsiderable occasion but since a weak and foolish friend as euripides says of old age has its strong as well as its feeble part we ought to observe both and cheerfully extol the one before we fall foul upon the other for as we first soften iron in the fire and then dip it in water to harden it to a due consistence so after we have warmed and mollified our friend by a just recommendation of his virtues we may then safely temper him with a moderate reprehension of his vices we may then say are these actions comparable to the other do you not perceive the advantages of a virtuous life this is what we who are your friends require of you these are properly your own actions for which nature designed you but for the other let them for ever from you banished be to desert mountains or the raging sea for as a prudent physician had rather recover his patient with sleep and good diet than with castor and scammony so a candid friend a good father or schoolmaster will choose to reform men's manners by commendations rather than reproofs for nothing in the world renders our corrections so inoffensive and withal so useful as to address ourselves to the delinquent in a kind affectionate manner 
and therefore we ought not to deal roughly with him upon his denial of the matter of fact nor hinder him from making his just vindications but we should rather handsomely help him out in his apology and mollify the matter as hector to his brother paris unhappy man by passion overruled suggesting that he did not quit the field in his encounter with menelaus out of cowardice but mere anger and indignation and nestor speaks thus to agamemnon you only yielded to the great impulse for to tell a man that he did such a thing through ignorance or inadvertency is in my opinion a much more genteel expression than bluntly to say you have dealt unjustly or acted basely by me and to advise a man not to quarrel with his brother is more civil than to say don't you envy and malign him and keep not company with that woman who debauches you is softer language than don't you debauch her and thus you see with what caution and moderation we must reprehend our friends in reclaiming them from vices to which they are already subjected whilst the prevention of them doth require a clear contrary method for when we are to divert them from the commission of a crime or to check a violent and headstrong passion or to push on and excite a phlegmatic lazy humour to great things we may then ascribe their feelings to as dishonourable causes as we please thus ulysses when he would awaken the courage of achilles in one of the tragedies of sophocles tells him that it was not the business of a supper that put him in such a fret as he pretended but because he was now arrived within sight of the walls of troy and when achilles in a great chafe at the affront swore he would sail back again with his squadron and leave him to himself ulysses came upon him again with this rejoinder come sir tis not for this you'd sail away but hector's near it is not safe to stay and thus by representing to the bold and valiant the danger of being reputed a coward to the temperate and sober that of being thought a debauchee and to the liberal and magnificent the chance of being called stingy and sordid we spur them on to brave actions and divert them from base and ignominious ones indeed when a thing is once done and past remedy we ought to qualify and attemperate our reproofs and commiserate rather than reprimand but if it be a business of pure prevention of stopping a friend in the career of his irregularities our applications must be vehement inexorable and indefatigable for this is the proper season for a man to show himself a true monitor and a friend indeed but we see that even enemies reprove each other for faults already committed as diogenes said pertinently enough to this purpose that he who would act wisely ought to be surrounded either with good friends or flagrant enemies for the one always teach us well and the other as constantly accuse us if we do ill but certainly it is much more eligible to forbear the commission of a fault by hearkening to the good advice of our friends than afterwards to repent of it by reason of the obloquy of our enemies and therefore if for no other reason we ought to apply our reprehensions with a great deal of art and dexterity because they are the most sovereign physic that a friend can prescribe and require not only a due mixture of ingredients in the preparation of them but a seasonable juncture for the patient to take them in 
but because, as it has been before observed, reproofs usually carry something of trouble and vexation along with them, we must imitate skilful physicians, who, when they have made an incision in the flesh, leave it not open to the smart and torment that attends it, but chafe and foment it to assuage the pain. So he that would admonish dexterously must not immediately give a man over to the sting and anguish of his reprehensions but endeavour to skin over the sore with a more mild and diverting converse. Like stone-cutters, who, when they have made a fracture in their statues, polish and brighten them afterwards. But if we leave them in pain with their wounds and resentments, and, as it were, with the scars of our reproofs yet green upon them, they will hardly be brought to admit of any lenitive we shall offer for the future. And therefore, they who will take upon them to admonish their friends, ought especially to observe this main point, not to leave them immediately upon it, nor abruptly break off the conference with disobliging and bitter expressions. End of section 12